Hi, I'm Sam Germano, and welcome to the Uprooted Podcast, where we'll be defining and reimagining what being healthy means today. In each episode, I sit down with experts to explore how our mental and physical health go hand in hand with one another. Every conversation will reinforce the idea that the better we take care of ourselves physically, the better we feel, or the more we tend to our mental health, the better we perform. Thank you for tuning in and joining me on this journey of becoming uprooted. I'm so happy to have you here. Amongst all of the health topics and trends and ways of holistic healing we know of today, I've always been curious about Ayurveda, especially because it's one of the oldest healing sciences of India and has been around for so long. In this episode, I actually learned that many of the practices and teachings of Ayurveda have surfaced over the years, such as understanding our circadian rhythm, optimizing digestion, looking at the gut as our second brain, or utilizing turmeric and ghee in our cooking. These are all things we hear so much of, but don't realize they are actually a part of the basic healing principles of Ayurveda. This approach really examines your health from a 360 degree perspective and gets clear on your constitution, who you are and where you came from. Because from there, you're then able to understand what your body needs to inevitably rebalance your health in every facet of your life. After having a complimentary Ayurvedic consultation at the well with Ananta Ripa Ajmira, the director of Ayurveda, I knew I needed to have her chat about this more in a podcast episode. The well is referred to as the complete ecosystem for wellness, where they bring together doctors and healers to collaborate and create best-in-class spaces, products, and content that help you feel the best you can. Ananta explained the basic principles of Ayurveda and how we can use it as a tool to guide us throughout our own unique health journeys. Ananta Ripa Ajmira is a certified Ayurveda health practitioner and yoga instructor. She is the founder and author of the award-winning book, The Ayurveda Way, which helps readers tap into ancient Indian science to achieve a state of balance in body, mind, spirit, and senses. She's taught Ayurveda at the Stanford School of Medicine's Health Improvement Program, the California Department of Public Health, and UNICEF, and has spoken at the National Ayurvedic Medical Association, Columbia Business School, and UC Berkeley. At her core, Ananda believes that everything truly worth having in life lives within you and that loving others begins with loving yourself. So let's get right into learning from her how to heal from within. Hello, Ananda. Thank you so much for joining me today to discuss and break down what Ayurveda is and why it's so important. I'm somewhat familiar on this topic, and from what I know, it's the holistic healing science of India and one of the oldest healing sciences as well. But nevertheless, I'm excited to learn the basic concepts of Ayurveda's approach to well-being. I know you wear many hats in this field as you're the founder and CEO of The Ancient Way, an Ayurveda practitioner, yoga instructor, spiritual teacher, and you also serve as the director of Ayurveda at The Well in New York City. So let's kick it off with you um, and hear a little bit about your background in this sector of the wellness industry and how you got to where you are today. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be able to talk with you and to share on your podcast. So thank you for having me. I think I came to all of this yoga, Ayurveda, and ancient spirituality through my own health journey. I had struggled for many years with eating disorders as a teenager, early like teenage years. And I was just looking for a solution to my own health challenges. And I wanted something that was going to be truly holistic. I felt that there was a spiritual component to the eating disorder that 
made me feel that it wasn't going to be enough to just go check myself into some expensive eating disorder clinic and get like a diet plan. I really wanted something spiritual, something that would address all parts of me and see me as not just a body, but as a soul. And I think that's really how I got interested in studying yoga. I was a student at NYU studying business many years ago here in New York. And I had just been really stressed by that. I grew up in a small town in the Midwest. And then I came to the big city living on my own for the first time. And, you know, it's a lot to be at school and then uh, living in a big city for the first time. So I started going to these yoga classes and I had heard that they talk a lot about the meaning of the different mantras that they chant. I literally walked in the door one day, it was just around the corner from where I went to school. And I remember hearing these same mantras that I grew up hearing in our temples, but I never really understood. I found it so interesting that people, mostly of non-Indian backgrounds, were gathering, you know, to hear these things that I had grown up with. And my own maternal uncle is a yogi, so I used to always see him standing on his head early in the morning and doing all sorts of other yoga asanas. Mm -hmm. So that was my first exposure to it when I was very young. And then here were all these non-Indian people doing what my uncle did. And I was like so fascinated by it. And I loved learning from the first teacher I went to that yoga prepares us to lead a life of service. That's always been really important to me too, is how can I live a life of service and how can I give back to people? I've always felt that growing up Indian in America, I'm very fortunate. I was the only person in our whole extended family at the time who had been born in the US when I was little. And we used to go visit all of our relatives in India. And I just felt like, gosh, my life would have been so different had I been like my cousins, you know? I would have had a different whole set of experiences and opportunities would be different than what I have here. I just felt really privileged and really like I had a lot of freedom externally. And so going there and hearing this and finding a deeper meaning to it, seeing that it was connected with spirituality really inspired me to dig deeper into it. After I graduated from college, I therefore went to India to do a yoga teacher training program over there. And I lived the Ayurveda lifestyle while I was there. We woke up before the sunrise, we would hear lions roaring across the lake in South India and in Kerala. And it was incredible. We ate our meals on time. We had Ayurvedic food. We were in this whole rhythm of being in harmony with nature which is very conducive to the yoga practice. Yoga and Ayurveda are sister sciences. And I was like, oh my gosh, how can I feel the way I feel here? And how do I learn how to cook? I didn't know how to cook after <laughs> I graduated from college. I just kind of got by yeah. with meal plans and you know, just living in New York, ordering food. And so I really you know, experienced it in my body. And then I wanted very much to learn more about it. Then I came back to the States and I drove my car from my parents' house in Ohio all the way to California. And I got inspired to check out what people were doing to teach yoga to people in prison. I felt that's a really great way to bridge spirituality and service in a community that is very much in need of these teachings. 
And when I got there and when I started actually teaching yoga in juvenile detention centers, I had met some friends through a meditation circle community over there who said, oh, you're into yoga and Ayurveda. You should really study with this teacher. I got introduced at Stanford University to a lineage-based teacher who had grown up with Ayurveda and she had learned it from her grandfather who was a really renowned Ayurveda teacher in India. Then six months into my studies, I found out from my cousin that our own maternal grandfather was also a really renowned Ayurveda healer in India. And so was our great grandfather. And we had this whole lineage. And so when I found that out, then I was like, oh, wow, I really found the right path. And I felt seen. I felt that the science really understood my physical problems, my emotions, and really viewed me first and foremost as a soul. And that was really important for the healing process, to see myself as a soul. That gave me the strength to then do all of the changes that were required at a physical level and to be disciplined with the practice because I felt that it was connecting me to something deeper and greater than just myself. I feel like if you were to title the memoir of your life, it would be like a return to home. <laughs> That's like what like the the oh. like line that came to my came to my mind like as you were talking about this because it's interesting. As you were seeking help for yourself, you discovered so much of like who you are and like and where you came from and and in that you were connecting with, you know, I think a deeper level of yourself and maybe, you know, where so much of you came from, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's so amazing, Samantha, because I just <laughs> literally finished getting the draft finished of my second manuscript for my second book. Is and that the title? <laughs> it's not, no, it's not the title, but it's the last thing I wrote at the end of the last chapter before I go into the kind of practical part of it. I said about coming home to yourself. Wow, that's so interesting. Oh my God. Well, that that's what it's that's just what it sounded like to me. You know, like I said, you were kind of just reconnecting with your deeper roots. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so true. And it's so interesting because Amantha actually is a spiritual name that I received while I was studying deeply for the nine years in this lineage-based tradition. To traditionally the teacher gives a student a name based on your spiritual journey to know your true self. And the name Ananta has many meanings. One is eternal, and that is the same meaning as my grandfather's name, Amr Chand. Amr means eternal and Chand means moon. And Chand or moon is, is a symbol of mother. So it's very fitting that he's my maternal grandfather. Yeah. And, and then another meaning of the name Ananta, believe it or not, is an Ayurvedic herb with really deep roots. Oh my God. <laughs> this is a, this is a very interesting conversation already. Wow. Wow. And it's an herb I actually really benefited from. It really helped me with my digestion and my skin, which I had struggled a lot with. So my higher self, the name I received and the medicine that I was taking were all pretty much one in the same. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, it was all right there. Very interesting. So what services, I guess, do you do today? I know that you are a yoga teacher and you're a director of Ayurveda. So what kind of services are you providing today in your current role and in your current life? 
Yeah, so I am offering one-on-one -on -one services where I talk to people. That's how I met you, actually, mm -hmm. through the one-on-one mini consultation. So I do free complimentary 15-minute consultations for people who just are curious to learn more about Ayurveda and spirituality and how it can help you with whatever issues you're having of body, mind, and soul. I do the Ayurveda consultations, which are one hour each, and that basically helps to co-create a plan for your health. I always give my clients a seasonal diet chart, which gives you an idea of which foods are beneficial for you in a specific season and which foods are better to avoid or reduce. And then I will give like custom home remedies, herbs that you can try, um, plants that you could possibly grow yourself and use for like your skin or for hair or just other, you know, issues that people are having. I also often will recommend specific yoga poses that you can do and breathing exercises and then spiritual practices also. It's really very holistic and comprehensive. We talk a lot about your daily lifestyle as well, and what kind of practices you can adopt to support your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Mm -hmm. Then I also do spiritual counseling, where I help people understand the experiences in, of their life in a more spiritual way, which then also brings together the importance of feeling everything. We don't do spiritual bypassing. We want to feel, express, acknowledge, and then release all the emotions that we have. We want to observe the emotions basically and become the master of our mind that way. Mm -hmm. And when we bring that kind of connection with our feelings, with our emotions, with the intelligence also that's in our emotions with the spiritual understanding of karma and that every good or bad thing that's happened in our lives is due to karma, then we have an opportunity for a deeper resolution of the difficult situations in our lives by bringing together both the feelings and the spiritual understanding. And when we talk about love karma, there's a lot there too, in terms of how to live in such a way that you create better karma for mm -hmm. yourself going forward. And I feel that that's actually very empowering. At first, it doesn't feel so good. It feels like, oh, what do you mean? Like love karma. But then it ultimately helps us take responsibility for everything in our lives and to feel a sense of control over what we can do from here onwards in terms of our thoughts, our speech, and our actions, which are the three states of karma. And in that way, we really take ownership for our health in a really, really profound way. And we realize in Ayurveda that Health is a product of so many things. It's not just one thing. It is your food, but it's also your lifestyle. It's also your meal timings. It's also your environment. It's who you spend your time with. It's what thoughts you think. It's what books you read, what shows you watch, what exposure to nature you get or don't get. And all of this really contributes to our overall health and well-being. Another program that I offer, which is through my organization, The Ancient Way, is called the Wellness Ambassador Program. Every Saturday, we get together on Zoom and go through the Ayurveda lifestyle step-by-step step in a digestible, user-friendly way where the ancient wisdom gets translated for modern living. We have a really beautiful community of about 35 people from all over the world who are committed to the one-year journey 
of going through this program and really living this lifestyle. It created a lot of community in it with a community buddy system where people connect with another member of the community to give support and receive support for their personal wellness goals. And then we also have a community WhatsApp group. So people are always sharing photos and experiences and actually putting wellness into action with practice. And that, you know, inspires other people and, and encourages people to, to really do it and not feel so alone in doing it because community is such a huge part of healing. We don't heal in isolation. We need community of positive people to really feel inspired to keep up with the journey. So that's an ongoing program that I have and I'll be creating a second year of that program, which people, I'm gonna leave it open. I think people can join that if they wanna start there and then maybe they can do the physical healing as well. It's all working together, even in the physical healing focus of the first year of the program. I still talk a lot about spirituality because yeah. that's what helped me to even do the physical actions that are required for health and to feel connected and aligned with it. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. You know, you've not only, like you said, provided your service to help better people, but you've created community, which is also just so profound. So that's amazing. I would love to get into what Ayurveda is because I've been excited to talk to you about this. <laughs> so can you define what Ayurveda is? Maybe give us a little history lesson on how it originated and came to be such a well-known and popular holistic approach to healing today. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's amazing actually, because Ayurveda and yoga are really ancient wisdom traditions that are believed to have been revealed to ancient sages in the midst of their meditations. These sages had gone away from society to the mountains and to the outskirts of the big towns in India in ancient times to simply observe nature and see what we can learn from her. Therefore, they watched the flowers. They got to know the flowers. They observed how does a lion move? What is the roar of the lion? How could that help us? They observed how a tree is in nature and how human beings can also embody the stability and the rootedness of a tree in nature and how you know each and every aspect of nature has some kind of healing and medicinal value for us and so through their observation and through their introspection and meditation they are believed to have been revealed the ancient wisdom of ayurveda Ayurveda is a part of the Vedas, which are the world's most ancient body of texts and literature. They are the foundation for four of the world's major religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, and Jainism. And it's all interconnected. So Ayurveda and yoga are a part of uh, this Vedic spiritual philosophy, which is about oneness and about unity, the idea that we are all connected, we're all interconnected with the world around us. And the world around us is a macrocosm and the world within us is the microcosm of the world around us. So we're connected to this whole universe through the presence of five great elements. 
these are space, air, fire, water, and earth. And that's what they observed, that all of nature is made up of these elements in different degrees and proportions. We all have all of them, but we just have them to differing degrees. And then these five great elements become doshas, which are the commonly, more commonly known bioforces, which are made up of two of the five great elements. Vata dosha is made up of the air and space elements, and it is the principle of movement in the atmosphere and the universe. Pitta dosha is made up of the fire and water elements, and it constitutes the principle of transformation and metabolism. And then earth and water elements come together to form what is called kapha dosha, and that is the principle of stability. Then connected to these three doshas are the three sort of life essences, if you will. One is called prana, which is known as life force. A lot of yogis have heard that word. And the prana is actually the subtle aspect of vata dosha, and it's like the pure air element. Then there's tejas, which is the metabolic essence, and that is the subtle essence of pitta dosha, and it's pure fire element. And then there is ojas, which means immunity or immune essence, and that's the subtle essence of kapha dosha, and it's the pure water element. So we have uh, these three forces of life force, movement, metabolic action, and transformation. And then we have immunity and stability. And these are keeping us in a state of balance. We want all of these forces to be in a state of balance to manifest good health. Mm -hmm. Then at the mental level, we also have uh, these same elements present, but they are even more subtle at the level of the mind. At the level of the mind, we understand that there's actually three qualities of the mind, which are also present throughout nature. And these qualities are those of inertia, which is, again, related to stability. Too much stability can be inertia, and that's called tamas. And then in uh, terms of the movement, too much of movement can become agitation and passion and motion and speed. And that's known as rajas. And that's the kind of activating but potentially agitating quality, if you will, of the mind. And then the third quality of the mind is called sattva. And that is the quality of balance. That's the perfect balance between inertia and action and between stillness and movement. And it is synonymous with clarity, with compassion, with peace, with tranquility, with really everything that we're looking for in life. We're all consciously or unconsciously seeking sattva. The word sattva itself has a root word in it called sat, which means truth. And sattva itself is actually a synonym of the mind. So the mind is believed in the Vedic spiritual tradition to be peaceful and to be calm and to be tranquil and all the things that we ideally want it to be. It's just that sometimes we have a buildup of too much of inertia or too much of agitation and that's where stress comes in. Ayurveda ultimately is teaching us how to live in harmony with nature and nature is the ultimate and highest healer 
according to this science. Wow. Thank you for that <laughs> whole explanation and and kind of breakdown of it. It's interesting to hear when you talk about this, because when you mentioned those five categories, it's not just about eating healthy. It's there's so many components of your lifestyle, of the way you think, feel, interact, consume that are going to lead you to live a healthy lifestyle. What I'm curious to know, you know, like as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking like, so who's a good candidate to live this kind of lifestyle? And I think I know the answer to it, but I want to get your response. Like who is the right person to to practice this? And I guess, is there someone who this cannot benefit? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I would say the right person to benefit from Ayurveda would be someone who's really eager to take health into their own hands and to feel like truly agency over their own well-being. So much of it is around personal responsibility. So it would not be for someone who just wants a pill to sit stop everything for them or save them or fix them in some way. It is for people also who have a deep love of nature mm-hmm. and who are wanting to feel close to nature. And it's possible through living an Ayurvedic lifestyle and following the Ayurveda diet to feel very close to nature, even if you live in a big city. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea even of the well is to serve as a place in the city that helps you to connect with nature wherever you are, even in in such a place. Yeah. And also, as I hear you explain this too, this way of life is good for someone who maybe feels out of balance or maybe has tried some healing modalities and hasn't connected with something kind of like the way you found this practice, like wanted to connect with a little bit more of their deeper self, or maybe has only focused on the way that they've been eating and not the way that they've been taking care of their sleep or taking care of their lifestyle needs in connecting with nature or um, tending to the stresses of their day. Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I believe spiritual seekers also are definitely high on the list of people who will resonate with the Ayurveda lifestyle because it is a very spiritual lifestyle. And of course, like yogis, people who love yoga, meditation, nature, spirituality of all different kinds, I think will really find a lot of great resonance with Ayurveda. And it's nice because it actually shows how you can make your quest for good health a spiritual one. It's not disconnected from spirituality. The goal actually of Ayurveda and yoga are to prepare your body and mind to be the best possible vessel for meditation and for contemplation and spiritual growth. So we do everything in these sciences ultimately for the quest of self-knowledge and really knowing who you are beyond the body and beyond the mind. It's like a 360 degree approach to becoming your best self. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And the beauty of it is it is you can start wherever you mm-hmm. feel called to, you know? Like I have a book called the Ayurveda way and it has 108 different practices that you can try for better sleep uh, less stress optimal digestion and more and sometimes people get overwhelmed by that number wow 108 things do I have to do all of these things and it's like you can if you want to if you feel the joy of it Mm -hmm. you know I always say that to start with what gives you joy and what brings you excitement and 
you know, where your heart calls you. I, I invite people to even go through the book and just flip to a page and see what that page has to say and see if you want to try that, you know, and just read it for inspiration, but really to work from inspiration and to, to go with that because that then leads you on a positive cycle where you get inspired then the inspiration you feel leads you to do what you need to do for yourself and for your well-being. And then you feel the benefit of it. And then when you feel the benefit of it, you feel inspired to take on the next thing. So you just create a positive loop of reinforcement, which is the exact opposite of what happens in addictions, right? Where you just like spiral on the negative thing over and over again, because it's a belief system that I can't do this, you know, or I'm stuck in this or I'm trapped or whatever. But here it's like affirming freedom and affirming wholeness and I'm going to just like keep on doing it. Like that was really enjoyable. Let me try the next thing and let me, you know, just keep on going with this. I love that. I'm curious to know, is there any science that has, you know, been done to show the proven benefits of living this lifestyle and practicing this type of healing? There are definitely research studies that have shown the benefit of different aspects of the lifestyle, like about living in circadian rhythms, waking up early, sleeping early. A lot of like the modern holistic science and things like that are kind of rediscovering things that have been a part of the Ayurveda lifestyle for a long time, such as even the microbiome or the idea of the gut as being the brain. You know, oh, really? Like the second brain. Yeah, because Ayurveda, being the world's oldest system, had always said that digestion is the key to overall health. And in Ayurveda, we have to digest not just food, but we digest also our information that we take in. We have to digest our emotions and we have to digest the experiences that we have in life as well. So again, we are looking at it, you know, more broadly and more holistically, but that's always been there. And so now there's all this research about the microbiome and, you know, these discoveries that the sages had observed and documented and shared with us thousands of years ago. So like that, I think there's probably a lot more things. And then there's a lot of research also on stuff like turmeric, which we utilize a lot in Ayurvedic cooking and, and a lot of the different Ayurvedic spices like cumin seeds and fennel seeds. And um, the use of ghee also is something that modern doctors are also very much supporting because ghee gives you a really excellent source of something called butyric acid, which is linked with immunity. So all of us at the well, whether it be the functional medicine doctors or the Chinese medicine doctors or me and Ayurveda, we all recommend ghee to cook with for our clients and patients. So there are these things that kind of are now coming out, which have always been in Ayurveda. It as such has not been as much researched by itself, you know, like Ayurveda, like how do you follow it and then uh, document it and do the evidence-based research. There's some that's coming up, but I had been drawn actually to working in the prison system because you can set up such studies, right? They're in a controlled environment. Mm -hmm. So I felt that it's a great place to actually try to do some of that. So I had done some, you know, just pre and post evaluations, even of programs that I had done for the prison staff members. And, 
it was amazing actually to see that they had such a large percentage change in their perceived benefit of their own sleep and their own pain reduction. Like they had a 47% perceived better sleep and less pain Mm -hmm. um, before and after they went through the Ayurveda lifestyle program. Mm -hmm. So I hope, you know, to be able to set up more of those kinds of studies at a bigger scale after having done kind of the smaller pilot programs to test out this this theory but it just takes some cooperation right with people who are willing to follow it and then to document it and so hopefully as people become more aware of it you know in light of seeking holistic therapies with the pandemic we can set up some larger studies and you know probably that is part of what I will advocate for and and try to do through the well right well that's amazing and I second that I hope there are more that come out, but it's, it's interesting to know that certain aspects of Ayurveda have been recognized and have been studied and, and published because like, as you were saying about turmeric, about ghee, about circadian rhythm, about the microbiome and optimizing digestion, like those are so talked about, but no one is mentioning that they're tied to Ayurveda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So I want to get into, you kind of covered the three doshas, kapha, pitta, and vada, but mm-hmm. I would love to kind of circle back on that because it's so interesting. And I remember someone had once told me mine and was kind of giving me, giving me like a brief overview of it. And it completely sparked my interest. And even in our initial conversation, I was like, oh my God, I want to learn more about this. So could you kind of give us a general overview of each of their personality traits and I guess recommendations for eating or lifestyle habits? So the kapha dosha person will be having a very calm personality usually they're the last of the types to kind of even know that they have an issue because they're just so laid back they're very reliable they're very compassionate and warm and maternal loyal stable supportive they're really good parents really good teachers um, with a soothing kind of personality they (laughs) will benefit from some stimulation and action to get them into balance because they're so calm and sturdy and rooted and grounded. So it's funny because they're actually recommended like basically figuratively to go lie on a bed of thorns and Mm -hmm. then have a snake thrown at them because just the act of having a little bit of fear and getting up and running Mm -hmm. helps them get into balance. They need that exercise they need rigorous workouts they need more fiery spices in their foods to actually balance them and to help them find the right amount of action so that they don't fall into inertia which can happen when you have too much of earth and water elements in your being then the pitta dosha dominant people they are very sharp very fiery they are very can be prone to being a little angry, a little over aggressive, you know, like a very type A personality, CEO kind of deal, a little perfectionistic. Um, 
out of balance. In balance, they're just really wonderful leaders. Like Steve Jobs would be a really great example of like a classic <laughs> Pitta Dosha person. And you know that they're probably Pitta if they've balded at an early age or all their hair has gone gray, you know, because of all the heat. So hair loss and graying is related to too much of fire in the body. And, you know, then they have fire in the mind also. So if someone has some anger issues, it's definitely showing that the fire is too much and needs to be pacified. Um, so such people are recommended more of the kapha type of thing, like calmness and having more of like heavier foods that are more difficult to digest because with a healthy fire with the active fire they can burn through food really quickly so they need like coconuts they need something that's going to be sweet natural sweetness and that will take longer to digest because they can metabolize a lot of food information emotions experiences more quickly mm -hmm. so they require that sweet taste and they require the moonlight you know and and beautifully scented flowers will be really calming to the overactive mind sometimes when the mind is overactive it doesn't stop right and even at night you can't sleep as a result of it and you're burning up all the time so they need something cooling they need something sweet they need the moon they they're literally recommended to go out in the moonlight and absorb the moon rays and have the the soothing sense and the sweet taste and something that's naturally cooling we recommend really predominantly warm cooked foods but for the pitta constitution they can have like something room temperature with roses infused into it roses actually would be the best thing for someone with too much of fire because mm -hmm. roses are really cooling they're really soothing they're very calming for overstimulation overthinking and overexertion so mm -hmm. they should just have roses in their life in every which way <laughs> everywhere <laughs> yeah just like rose lassi um rose bath like laying in, on a bed of roses right where the kapha dosha is going on a bed of thorns they can go on the bed of roses <laughs> opposite, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very opposite and then the last one uh vata dosha they are very creative they're very they usually like to move so a lot of like dancers and a lot of artists and a lot of uh, like fashion designers and people who are always creating things tend to have a lot of air and space in them because it helps them to, or it just inspires them to receive inspiration, you know, and to uh, channel information. And they can often be drawn to spirituality too, like meditation, especially if there's more of the space element. The space element is the subtlest. So it's kind of like the closest to the soul in a sense. So these can be very creative people, very spiritual people, very visionary people. They'll have big ideas and a lot of ideas and their ideas will keep changing. So this is the person that may be a little running a little bit late for something that would be talking really fast. That would be maybe a little scattered brained at worst, but really creative and inspired at best and visionary. And this constitution of a lot of air and space and movement is also recommended some kapha stuff to balance them. And they're recommended the stability part of it. They're mm -hmm. recommended predictability. They're recommended really good routine that you know what time you're eating, you know what time you're sleeping. They want to be erratic by nature. So just grounding, 
stability, structure, all the things they may resist will really help them. Uh, warmth is also really important for people who have too much of air and space, just having some warm grounding foods, nourishing foods. Again, the sweet taste will be really good, but the sour taste and the salty taste, if it's just pure vata dosha, will also be really helpful. Most of us though, actually have more than one dosha in our constitution and more than one dosha that's out of balance at a time. That's where a practitioner is needed to navigate. A lot of times people wanna take these quizzes and figure themselves out and they kind of tell you that you can, but it's tricky because there are these two layers of it. One is what you're made of at the time of your birth. And then the second is what's out of balance at a given time. And often it's more than one for both. So you could potentially be having all three doshas that you have to account for. And the reason why we want to know your natural constitution is so that when we recommend therapies to balance the doshas that are out of balance, that we don't push your natural constitution in a state of imbalance. Mm -hmm. So in a practical sense, I, I can give you my own example. I am having pitta dosha with vata as well, and I don't have as much of kapha, but one time I had a cold, right? And that's a kapha imbalance. Whenever there's cold, like COVID, for example, is a total kapha dosha imbalance. So when I had a cold, I needed to do more heat. Like heat helps to move out toxins from the body and it helps to cleanse the body when you have respiratory challenges. So I went for that because I had the cold really bad. But then you know, if I would have gone too intense with the heat, like too much of ginger, black pepper, uh, and those kind of hot spices, then I would burn my body because I am made up of fire mostly. So I could have it, but only to an extent. And I did the things that were increasing fire, but not too much. Okay. And that's where that's helpful. If, if say I had kapha in my constitution and not so much fire then I could have really gone to town with how hot the stuff was and you know just like adding more and more fire but that's where you want to know what your natural constitution is and what your imbalance is and if there's more than one then it becomes kind of nuanced but in general the vata and pitta recommendations kind of go together you know so if you have both which you know I usually have that if I have anything or if I have had anything in the past then you know, sweet taste is balancing for both of them, some routine and stability and, you know, all of that will be good for both of them. And then, you know, if you have like pitta and kapha, and usually those are more common combinations, vata, pitta, and then pitta, kapha, then the pitta, kapha needs some movement. They need some free flow of ideas and thoughts and being able to connect things together and having kind of a flow. So for their constitution, the movement, the exercise, traveling, like change, because they're a more sturdy constitution, that will actually help balance them. It will help them feel joyful and inspired and all of that kind of thing. So typically that's what it is. But then if you have this rare thing of like vata and kapha, then you look at it as they're both cold and they're missing fire. So what a vata and kapha balance imbalanced person needs is fire just to have the warmth but they don't want too much fire that it would burn the vata or get too dry because vata the air constitution can be dry so it just has to be the right uh kind and the right amount so 
This is so fascinating. In a way, are we born with all three, but one yes. shows up more? Okay, got it. One or two show up more. Yeah. Okay. For and some rare people, you can have all three, but that's very rare. Okay. And then how do we, you, you refer to it as our natural constitution. How do we know what we are and how is it determined for us? You, I know you briefly mentioned it's around the timing that we're born. Yeah, so it revolves, it revolves, it involves digging deep into your birth. It actually involves a questionnaire about how you were at the time of birth and in your childhood. And so we ask people to try to track that through like parents or relatives who've known you for a long time, like since you were born ideally, because the best way to figure it out is to have the pulse of a newborn baby taken within hours of birth. That's the most accurate assessment that you can do to know your actual ratio of the doshas that you're born with. And then you should know like your height at birth, your weight at birth, your, were you a colicky baby? Were you a calm baby? Were you, you know, having rashes? Were you like this or were you like that? So those kinds of questions, because it could be the same questions asked, but you have to think about it more historically. You know, have you always had a tendency towards loose motions or to, you know, constipation? And that also is telling like what your natural constitution probably is. So for any of us who are not babies, which is most of people who would want to know this, um, we are giving a best estimate based on the information that we have at our disposal. But the best way to know is to actually take it from mm -hmm. a newborn. So as you get older and you become curious about this topic, you're almost given like a blueprint of, of who you are, what you came from and how to rebalance yourself. Yeah, that's what it gives you. It's really, really helpful. And that's helpful, you know, in navigating the world of holistic health. I feel that Ayurveda is very much the mother science and the mother tradition. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, I, I work at the well and we're very much encouraged to personally check out all the different modalities mm -hmm. to know how they work and to be able to collaborate with with them. And I have loved doing that. I've really enjoyed going and having integrative energy work sessions at the well. And I did a session with our Chinese medicine doctor and I did physical therapy, like sports therapy assessment. And every time when I go to other modalities, I feel that because I know who I am from Ayurveda and I know my constitution, I also know the kinds of things that will bring it into balance and how much of the exercise you know I can do and how much is going to be too much for me so I feel that I'm able to also benefit personally you know from the other modalities and recommend them too to other people based on the foundation of understanding that Ayurveda gives as that blueprint to knowing who you are. I'm happy that you mentioned that because my next question was going to be, how does this compare or how is Ayurveda different from other wellness practices or healing modalities? And I remember when we first talked about it, I asked you that question and you had mm -hmm. such a great answer and I'll let you elaborate on it. But you said that this does not exclude you from trying other things or toying around with different types of wellness practices. It kind of just shows you what's going to work for you and what's not. 
and when you need it and why. And so you can always shop around and try different things, but you have a foundation to come back to. I feel like I just answered the question, but I'm going to let you explain it as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you know, it's, it's just so helpful because if say like I know about myself that I have less of kapha and I have more of vata and pitta dosha. So I would, in terms of like other modalities to benefit from, I love going for the energy work sessions because they're very calming. You mm. just lay down. It's not even like a massage. It's just like very gentle touch, like craniosacral therapy. But then it's also quite spiritual. Like they will see different visions, you know, as they're going through it and they connect with the chakra system and I feel that that is really helpful for people who have vata and pitta doshas Mm -hmm. to be able to pull their energy in you know and ground themselves and then for people who have a lot of kapha dosha we can send them to the intense yoga classes you know where people are moving a lot faster and they're getting more intense exercise in and that will really help them to be in balance but then for people who don't have that who have a lot of fire we would say like go for pilates go for qigong go for restorative yoga um do these more relaxing offerings sometimes we're drawn to what is not good for us right so then we have to be told okay (laughs) this is not so helpful for you even though you like it sometimes we love what's good for us it just depends you know what we gravitate towards but just yeah having the knowledge of your constitution and what is going to be helpful for you and what's going to be potentially aggravating to you is really really helpful and then in terms of how ayurveda intersects with functional medicine which is our our chief medical officer is a functional medicine doctor at the well it's really helpful to go there for diagnostic assessment and evaluation i do feel that Western medicine and even Western psychology is extremely helpful for diagnosing a situation in the body or in the mind. And then you can come to Ayurveda for the healing aspect to it, to really holistically go into it. So we're not just looking at it in a fragmented way, Mm -hmm. but if you have, say, diabetes, we're going to look at it at all levels. And we're going to also understand what's called the intellect, which is different from intelligence. The intellect in the spiritual understanding is that discerning faculty within us that helps us overcome our emotional reactions and actually respond to a situation, analyze a situation, plan and strategize what's going to be most beneficial for us when we have to overcome a certain challenge. When you have a good intellect, that's what helps you choose something with less sugar than, you know, not because you have that issue. And, you know, if you have that, then half the battles are already fought. So that's another part of the spiritual counseling is to help people awaken their discerning faculty so that they can develop more self-control over the mind, over the emotions, over the likes and the dislikes that we have, you know, as human beings. So once you know, you know, from the Western diagnostics, what is happening exactly precisely, then, you know, in Ayurveda, we look at it in a different way. We look at it through the lens of the five great elements, but we will understand it, you know, in Mm -hmm. our way. And then we will be able to give a holistic way of treating it and then also preventing 
future issues from coming. We have a whole seasonal lifestyle along with the daily lifestyle, which is, you know, the seasonal lifestyle keeps on evolving as the seasons change. We don't recommend the same diet for the same person all year round. It actually changes what we recommend based on where the earth is in relation to the sun. So Ayurveda really has a very complete system for preventative care. And a lot of times people like to come for that now. Now we realize that the scope of Ayurveda, protecting the health of the healthy, is just as important as curing the disease of someone who is, you know, ill. Yeah, preventative care is so important. It's it's something that I fundamentally believe in. But as, also at the same time, I agree with what you were saying before. Western medicine is also so helpful because it, it gives us a level of precision for what we need to address. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I want to end with this by um, getting your opinion on, you know, you gave such a beautiful and informative breakdown of what this practice is. And if someone is curious, where do they start? Where can they begin on a journey of, you know, healing in the Ayurvedic way? That's a great question. I feel like where you started is a good place. Booking a 15-minute complimentary session with me would be a good place to start. And I can guide you accordingly, you know, to what resources would be helpful to you. I do these online as well as in person in New York City. Um, That would be a good place to start. My book also is a good place to start because it's an introductory book. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called The Ayurveda Way and 108 practices for, you know, all sorts of things. And it has a lot of pictures in it. Mm -hmm. So you get like the visual inspiration. Yeah. So that's like a user-friendly place to start. It helps make Ayurveda more accessible and less intimidating uh, to people. So I would say those are good places. And then for people who want to learn, you know, that's also a great place to start. And with the online educational program that I offer, people can drop in also for any Saturday class that you want to learn. And, you know, if you want to do more, you can do more, but it's just very open. So that's another good doorway into learning. That's incredible. Well, Ananta, thank you so much for your insight and, you know, just shining a light on this practice. It's It was very eye-opening for me when we first chatted, and this was even more of an educational conversation where I can hear more and learn more about it, but also um, amplify what this practice is for other people as well. Thank you so much. It was really wonderful connecting with you. And if anyone wants to follow you or contact you, not physically follow you, I mean like on social media. (laughs) Where can they find you um, in terms of, you know, Instagram, um, your website, stuff like that? Sure. Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at Ananta, A-N-A-N-T-A underscore 108. And then my organization's website is theancientway.co, C-O. Um, and then you can find out more about the wellness ambassador program on the website. We have recipes you can download recipes you can, uh, read and look at on our blog. And then if you wanted to book a 15 minute complimentary session, you can find me at the dash well 
com slash Ayurveda. And that's A-U-R-V-E-D-A. Amazing. Well, Ananta, thank you again. Thank you for your time and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much.